curious today, culture wars, culture wars. When I was in elementary school, we had a quarter of our physical education, um, you know, requirements where we, where we did square dancing, okay? Now, that doesn't seem like much, and for some of you who are a little bit more seasoned in age, you will remember those days that when we had to square dance. Now, that, like I said, doesn't seem like much, but my parents, the godly and wonderful people that they were, had a very, very strong stance against dancing of any kind, any kind. It didn't matter what it was. And so when it was time for us to have the square dance quarter, my parents sent a note with me to give to my teachers for me to be excused from square dancing because of our religious convictions. Now, I will tell you, that was about as embarrassing of a moment as it could possibly be. I didn't, under, I didn't really understand it. But I will tell you this, when I had given this note and I was excused, I remember sitting on the side of the, of the gymnasium and all, and all of my friends were going, you are so lucky, can I join your church? Because none, none of my buddies wanted to do this. But it was just part of what we did. Now you say, well, what does that really have to do with anything? Well, you know, you can't find that. What's, what's the harm in that? It wasn't, a much, it wasn't as much about that about the harm that was being done as it was the conviction of my parents and their, their, their very, very deep passion to preserve their faith. They were in their own way fighting a cultural war. It was very much against what was normal or traditional, but they, were, they chose to go against the grain, as it were. Well, the term culture war is commonly used to describe aspects of contemporary politics and conflicts based upon values, morality, and lifestyle. One more time. Aspects of contemporary politics and conflicts based upon values, morality, and lifestyle. Now, interestingly enough, the, the phrase culture wars isn't anything new. It's been around since the 1870s. And it really, was, it really came into existence with the German Empire and the conflict with the Catholic Church. That's where it started. There was a cultural war between this one empire and the church itself. But today, we are facing the clash again in virtually every corner of our contemporary society. And, it is, and maybe you have, you've probably witnessed it. You've heard that phrase, you've experienced it firsthand in some respects. Maybe it shows, it shows up at school board meetings. It, it shows up uh, in city councils. It shows up on the street. It shows up in restaurants, at sporting events, at national, in the national politics. It shows up on social media, and at times it even shows up in the church. It's also identified in many terms and phrases. Uh, phrases such as that have found themselves into found themselves into everyday language, uh, such as wokeness, CRT, safe spaces, climate change, identity politics, abortion, socialism, neo-Marxism, transgenderism, same-sex marriage, cancel culture, intersectionality, totalitarianism, triggering tolerance, and many others. Ever hear any of those words? Make no mistake. 
Make no mistake, there is a culture war, and it is raging. In 2009, Peter Kreft, who is a, by faith tradition, is a Roman Catholic, he wrote a book entitled, when, How to Win the Culture War. That's an interesting title, How to Win the Culture War. If you fast forward to 2020 and you took out another book by, the name, by, by an author by the name of Rod Dreher, and I'll talk a little bit more about him in a minute, he makes a statement in his book, Live Not by Lies, the following, that we have lost the culture war. So in a span of 12 years, from 2009 to 2021, we have gone from how to win the culture war to having lost the culture war. Now let that sink in a little bit. Because it does need to get deep within our heart. Because we need to understand what it is and maybe some of the dynamics that have caused us to, in some respects, lose the war. Well, Peter Kraft, back to his book for a moment, made these following statements. He said, you cannot win a war if you blissfully sow peace banners on a battlefield. If you don't know who you are fighting. If you don't know what kind of war you're fighting. If you don't know the basic rules of battle, if you don't know your enemy's battle plan, if you send your troops to the wrong battlefield, if you use the wrong weapons, if you, don't, if you do not know how to get the right weapon, if you're not confident of your inevitable victory, you're going to lose. And somewhere between 2009 and 2020, we had, didn't do any of that. You say, Gary, are, are you really saying that we've lost this? Well, I'm not going to be... I'm not going to fight against those who study this far more than I do, but I am very concerned as your pastor, very concerned. Here's what I'm concerned about, concerned about you, concerned about your families. I'm concerned about your future. I'm concerned about our church, concerned about our city, concerned about our nation, because we are in the throes of a raging battle. So what we want to do for a few moments this morning is we want to look at the passages of Scripture that I trust will be helpful, and then some applications that, again, I, I trust that God will help us apply into our own lives that we, can, that we can not just navigate the culture war that we're in, but we can overcome it on an individual basis and as a family. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you for your word this morning. As we open it, help us to understand what you desire to say to us today and to live it out in Jesus' name. Amen. I want five thoughts. There are five thoughts I want to share with you this morning. The first one is this. Be aware that there is a culture war. Okay? That, that sounds a little bit simplistic, doesn't it? Be aware that there is one. There's, a, there's a, a, an image that I want to show you that I just love. Uh, I don't want us to be this. I love that image. But I'm telling you, many of us would just prefer to do that than face the realities of where we live. Now, let, let me say it again. Many of us would prefer to live like this than to face the realities that we are facing today. It's just true. So we just don't want to hear it. We don't want to talk about it. We want to ignore it. We want to go on with life as we've always gone on with life. You know something? I'm right there with you. I would love to do that. I would love to revisit the, the, the America of, 19, of the 1950s. I would love it. It's not going to happen. We're not going to even be able to go back to the crazy 80s, 90s. This is where we are, but we would prefer to stick our hands and heads in the sand and ignore what is going on. We must be aware there is a cultural war. Just a couple of things. Although this is north of the border, 
This past week, there was a Canadian pastor who had had gone into the, he was in the States here doing some uh, messages and teaching and whatever. When he went back to Canada, he was immediately arrested for having his church open during the pandemic. And initially, he was, he was sentenced to six years in prison for having his church open. You go, what? Yeah, in Canada, just north of the border. Now, I believe since that time, that sentence has been dim- diminished or dropped. I heard that. Now, I haven't confirmed it, but I've heard that. Let me go on. A couple other things. Um, there was a, t- a school board meeting not too long ago in another part of our country where superintendent of schools came in and challenged the school board, you either resign now or you will be brought up on charges of child pornography for a particular textbook that was being offered in that particular school district. And I want to tell you, I listened to excerpts of that particular school board meeting and them reading from that textbook, and it is too graphic for me to share with you this morning. And that superintendent apologized that it had gotten by. Okay, here we go. We have a pastor in Canada arrested for having services. A school board or a school district who, who has literally had child pornography as part of its curriculum. Are you kidding? Well, it gets better or worse, however you choose to look at it. One of our largest states in America has said this about vaccinations. Now, I'm not, this is not for or against vaccination. It had nothing to do with that. I want you to listen to this. That there will be no religious exemptions granted in the state. Another state that had already said that they would grant exemptions has recanted and said we will no longer grant any exceptions based upon religious beliefs. One more. Maybe you've heard of the 1619 Project. 1619 Project's attempts to reframe American history by displacing the 1776 Declaration of Independence as the traditional founding of the United States, replacing it with the first the first, the year the first African slaves in North, arrived in North America. Even though thoroughly debunked, journalism's elite saw fit to award the project director a Pulitzer Prize for the contribution. The 1619 Project has already been taught in 4,500 classrooms and will find its way into many more. One more. of present college students today believe that the Communist Manifesto has a better path forward than the Declaration of Independence. You cannot, you cannot stick your head in the sand and say nothing's going on, everything's good. Whether it's in politics, whether it's in popular culture, whether it's in social media, whether it's in the church, whether it's in the school, it does not matter. There is a culture war that is raging Proverbs 22 and verse number 3 says, A prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton goes on blindly, goes blindly on, and suffers the consequences. It's pretty stark, isn't it? In your worship guide this morning, I have prepared some resources for you. Do you have this in your hands? Do you have this? Okay, if you do not have one of these, you can get it. Uh, they're on. Uh, they're on you version. If you are joining us online this morning, you can find this same bit of resources on you version. Done a number of things. This will be helpful. Now, is it is it ex, um, comprehensive? Of course not. But I want to talk about four things very quickly. Four books very quickly. Some of you are not readers. I know that. 
but some of you are. And for the readers among us, here we go. The first book is titled Fault Lines, and this book is written by Vodi, Vodi Bauckham. And it, 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 ter- it, it takes apart in a very powerful, godly, biblical way things like critical, uh, critical race theory, tr- uh, intersectionality, the social justice movement, which are very popular, but you need to hear it from a Christian perspective. This man is absolutely brilliant. Okay, he is not smart. He is, he's smart on steroids. I, I don't know how else to say it. And he can communicate extraordinarily well. The book is a challenging read. I will tell you that up front. So if you can't get through the reading, there's also videos of him exp- preaching through this particular philosophy. That's also, and you can watch that for about 45 minutes. Very, very valuable. The second is a book entitled Live Not, excuse me, Love Thy Body by Nancy Piercy. Nancy Piercy is an incredibly great writer. But she tackles the things such as abortion, transgenderism, uh, things like uh, the, the, the sexual, kind of the sexual side of, I don't know, I'm trying to say this in a way that isn't offensive. She just deals with these issues, so I'll say it that way. An incredible writer, incredible story, and she gives a path forward, which I love. And then this book, Rod Dreher, uh, Rod Dreher is, an, again, a great journalist and wonderful writer, Live Not By Lies. And Live Not By Lies, what he does, he has interviewed individuals who have been in, who are in the former Eastern Europe Soviet bloc countries who lived under totalitarian communism. And now that they see similarities in what is happening in the United States, the same things they experienced. And once again, there's a video for each one of these. If you feel that that would be a better way to kind of get a grasp on this. And then finally, there's a book that I've referenced many times, is Hope of Nations uh, by... by John S. Dickerson. And the video component to this goes through each one of the nine statements that John makes and gives an overview of what that is. Why, why would I do this? For the very reason that we dare not stick our heads in the sand, but we have to be aware. And I've got a responsibility to give you something to look at. I've also given you the definition of terms. Is it complete and comprehensive? Of course not. But it will give you a beginning place. Now, hear me. Hear me. If I can find this stuff, so can you. And it is time that as the people of God that we begin to get our heads out of the sand and we begin to look at what's going on and take a stand. We have to. We have to. Everybody look at me for just a moment. It's really good to see your eyes. Okay, I'm too. All right. Look at me. Keep keep it right here. Keep it right here. You cannot solely depend upon me or any pastor standing here to instruct you and to teach you what you need to learn for yourself, for your family, and for our community. We've got to take it upon ourselves. We have to be self-feeders. We have to learn. If we don't, we'll be caught unaware, just as Solomon said. Second thing, second thing. Assuming a posture of neutrality is not an option. Assuming a posture of neutrality is not an option. I love this movie, We Were Soldiers. It's an incredible film. Uh, It's based upon a conflict between the United States Army and the North Vietnamese Army, 1965, in La Drang Valley. It was really the first head-to-head 
confrontation of American forces and the North Vietnamese Army. And it's an extraordinary story. Well, in the midst of it, this, the, the company literally has been over, they're, they're being overrun. They had found themselves in a place where they were just, they were outmanned at every turn. And they were overrun. And <clears throat> Sergeant Basil Plumley, Master Sergeant Basil Plumley, I think that's a better way of saying his name. He is an extraordinary individual. He is kind of getting, getting all of the soldiers are there and telling them this, prepare to defend yourself. And he walks up to, a, he comes to a man by the name of Joe Galloway, who is a non-combatant, who is a correspondent. They're taking pictures and writing the story. And he gives Galloway a rifle. And he said, and when Galloway takes the rifle, he says, I'm a non-combatant. And here was Blumley's, or Plumley's statement back to him. Are you ready? There ain't so no such thing today, boy. Do you hear that? There is no such thing as a non-combatant, as a follower of Jesus Christ in the culture war. Neutrality? Conscientious objection? No place for it. No place for it. We cannot be silent. We cannot just disappear into the fabric of, of life. We cannot just pick up and go someplace else and not experience it there. No. We are, we are in a battle. Listen to what Paul said to Timothy. Fight the good fight of faith and take hold of the life that lasts forever. You hear that? Fight the good fight of faith and take hold of the life that lasts forever. That life is for you, for your children, for your grandchildren, for your neighbors, for your friends, for your schools, for your businesses. The third thing is that it is imperative that we know our adversary. It's imperative that we know our adversary. Ephesians chapter 6, put on all of God's armor <clears throat> so that you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. Yeah, you notice that word? Notice that name right there? That proper name? Strategies of the who? Okay, one more time. Strategies of the who? All right. Keep that in mind. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood, flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers Authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in heavenly places. What Paul declares, he says, all the strategies of the devil and evil rulers, authorities, the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in heavenly places. No matter, no matter what shape the war might take, as highlighted by the terms that we defined a few minutes ago, or in the in your notes. And there are others. The adversaries are not, now hear me carefully, the adversaries are not, and I repeat, are not people. They are not people. They are not people. As the people of God, we are to be loving, caring, accepting, understanding, in conversation with into other people. But I want to tell you, there is someone who is driving, who is pulling the strings, who is behind the scenes. It is the devil's strategies, and these are rulers and authorities in unseen places. We must be aware, we must be aware of who our adversary actually is. First Peter 5, be well balanced and always alert, because your enemy, the devil, roams around incessantly like a roaring lion looking 
for it's prey to devour. He is deceitful. He is a liar. He is a destroyer. He is our adversary. He is the enemy. While we, listen to this carefully, while we are to know our enemy, nothing and or any knowledge of our enemy should take priority over knowing Christ and his word. We have to be people of God's word. We have to be people who are dedicated to the things of God. Yes, we need to recognize who our adversary is, but we're not to spend that time figuring out who he is. We are to spend our energies and time knowing Christ and his word. Then we're able to confront the strategies, his, his schemes that he throws against us. Number four, we need to maintain a complete dependence on God. And there are two things and two ways that I would suggest. Number one, we need to acknowledge that the battle belongs to the Lord. We have to acknowledge that the battle belongs to the Lord. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, listen to these great words. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This day, this very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. You know what is so amazing? Everybody that was there that day, and they saw David walk out to take on Goliath, who was nine foot, six inches tall. He had been trained from a boy to be a soldier. They said, this is an unfair match. There's no chance. What they didn't know is that it was unfair to Goliath because he was facing not David. He was facing the God of Israel. And we need to understand that it is the battle, the battle is the Lord's. The same is true for us in this war of culture that we're facing. The media, Hollywood, po political hierarchy are all fighting against godliness and morality. And we appear to be severely out matched. Hear me again. We appear to be severely outmatched, but if God is for us, who can be against us? Our our emphasis, our, all of our striving must be to know God and his word greater because he, it is his battle. And if he is for us, no one can be against us. And the second thing in this dependence on God is we need to use the resources God provides for the battle. 2 Corinthians 10 says, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down strongholds, the human reasoning, and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and we teach them to obey Christ. The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of this world. They're different, but they're strong. Paul says something very interesting. He says that we're to destroy false arguments. Do you hear that? We're to destroy false arguments. Let me, let me just give you one. Let me just give you one. Okay, you ready for this? Okay. This is from Nancy Piercy's book, Love Thy Body, all right? And it's dealing with abortion. And just, just so that we're all on the same page this morning, abortion, in my opinion, is the greatest, the greatest sin that has come upon America in the last 50 years. 70 million children have been aborted. 
Did you hear that? 70 million. A generation. It's gone. In dealing with abortion, she discusses the distinction between life beginning at conception and life and the idea of personhood. I don't know if you've heard this or not. The discussion goes like this. Life begins at conception, even conceded by those, by many who are pro-abortion advocates. They cannot deny the science that life begins at conception. You ready for this? And this includes a man by the name of Peter Singer, who is, of all things, an ethicist. Think about that word, ethics. An ethicist at Princeton University. He says that while life begins at conception, personhood does not begin that early. So the determination of when a person begins is arbitrary. It might be considered a moving target. He would continue and say, the life of a newborn baby is less value, has less value to it than the life of a pig or a dog or a chimpanzee. It is to a non-human animal. He recommends using humans in medical experiments instead of animals if the animals have higher cognitive capacities. Yeah, kind of what it does to me too. God help us, forgive us, that we have come so far in our intellect that we have literally, we, we just, we said we have professed ourselves wise and we have become fools in the process. But we as the people of God are to destroy false arguments, not by our own wisdom, but by the wisdom that God has given to us. We have to live it out. Ephesians six thirteen. so put on the full armor, put on all the armor God gives that when the day of evil comes, that evil day comes, you will be able to stand. You'll be able to defend yourself. And when the battle is over, you will still be standing firm. The armor of God is both a defense and an offense. And we must put on that full armor, not a portion. We can't pick and choose. All of it provides us the tools to be effective in our battle lines. Second Peter 3, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We lack nothing to combat the forces of darkness. This is God's battle. This is God's battle, and he will prevail. Amen? Amen. Amen. Number five, and finally, live out the qualities of a godly soldier. Live out the qualities of a godly soldier. There's a phrase that you may have heard at some point. It's called it's soldier on. Soldier on. It means to continue to do something or to try to achieve something that even though it is difficult. And when addressing the topic of culture wars and our responses to it, all of us can understand the potential challenges that are connected to that. I think we can see that. Paul said something in Timothy is very important. He said in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says, Overcome every evil form, every, every form of evil as a victorious soldier of Jesus, the anointed one. Overcome every form of evil as a victorious soldier. Now, I chose the Passion Translation for a reason. For that idea of a victorious soldier. We do not face this battle in a place of defeat. We face this battle in a place of victory because of whom we follow and whom we serve. Warren, we're, uh, there, there's a great passage of Scripture. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And it's this passage that I kind of bring our, our time to a conclusion. 
Chapter 16, verse 13, it said, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, and do everything in love. You see those imperatives? Just one after the other. Warren Wisbury is one of these guys that I follow that is just kind of, a, I call him kind of a mentor at a distance. I've never met him, never will, but I read his stuff, and it's just, he's so good. He said, these words, Paul's words, are like military orders, suggesting that the church is an army and ought to act like one. Too often, the church does not have the discipline and maturity of an army. The Corinthians were acting like babies. <laughs> Listen to that. They're acting like babies. It was time for them to grow up and act like adults. And I tell you, I was convicted when I read that. Because too often, I think I have faced these kinds of things in a little bit of being naive. A little too simplistic. Say it's somebody else's, forgive me for that. So, first thing is to be on guard. We've already talked about being aware, but I think this is a soldier on, it, it really takes the image of a soldier on guard duty. They're to remain alert and awake, keen to their surroundings. First Thessalonians 5, 6 is let us be alert and self-control. We're also to stand firm, stand firm. In Ephesians chapter 6, which we read a moment ago about the armor of God, on four different occasions in that passage of Scripture, it says, stand, 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 stand. We are to stand firm in our faith. In fact, if you look at a little bit of the equipment, as it were, that Paul addresses, he talks about the feet, the shoes of the soldier. I read in one particular place that a Roman soldier had, as it were, cleats on the bottom of his shoes so that when he took his stand, he could not be moved. And that's exactly the image that needs to stay with us. Exodus chapter 14 says, don't be afraid. Take your stand, be firm and confident and undismayed and see the salvation of the Lord, of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. Here's a phrase for you from John Stott. Wobbly Christians who have no firm foothold in Christ are easy prey for the devil. Wobbly Christians. God help us. God help us. The third is to be courageous. When we see or hear, when we see or hear the word, this word, we, we think of somebody who kind of rushes into the breach with, you know, just abandon. It's really not so much that. It more speaks to the issue of being adults and, and growing up and, and maturing in our faith. Set aside, set aside our self-centered kindergarten ways. And it, I'm telling you, as a pastor, this is very, very critical to me that we don't just continue to lay for ourselves the elementary truths again and again and again, although we need to have them reinforced, but we need to grow up in our faith. And we need to be willing to stand firm in our faith, being courageous, Ephesians 4.12. He handed out gifts of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher to train Christ's followers in skilled servant work, working within Christ's body, the church, until we're all moving rhythmically and easy with each other, efficient and graceful in response to God's Son, fully mature adults, fully developed within and without, fully alive in Christ. It's time to grow our faith and be courageous, also to be strong, to be strong. I've had the honor of knowing a number of Navy SEALs over the years. And these, these guys, the guys that I knew, they were just, there's an, they're an extraordinary group of people. And the training they go to become, to become a SEAL is just beyond anything. 
anything you can imagine. And one of the things they have to be is not only enduring, they've got to be fearless, all of that, yes. They also have to be strong. They have to be strong, there's no doubt. And I'm grateful for their incredible skills. And I admire each and every one of them. But the call to be strong is not about physical strength. It's not about physical strength. It is about being strong in the Lord. It's being strong in the Lord. Exodus 3.14, and God said to Moses, I am who I am. That's who gives us strength. Paul said, Christ gives me the strength to face anything. Hallelujah. And then finally, to love always. To love always. This is what Jesus said would show those around us that we belong to him. I was reading a story this past week of a man who was persecuted for his faith in the former Soviet bloc. And it's a funny story, but it's an incredible story too. He was thrown in jail in the midst of all of these very hardened criminals. And he said it was a very small, the, the, the person he was relating the story to is a very small cell and it was just packed with men. Walked in, he came in, and the first thing he said to them, the Lord be with you. God bless you. God love you. Something along those lines. And these guys say, do you know who we are? He says, we're the worst of the worst. We're the worst of the worst. He says, we're so bad that the guards won't even give us cigarettes. Can your God do anything about that? And he said, well, you know, the temple, the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and smoking kind of fouls that. He says, but hey, I can pray. He said, pray? He said, yeah, let's pray. So all of the guys, said, respectfully, they were quiet. And he began to pray. And he said, Lord, and he said, thank you. And he blessed them. And they said, Lord, you know the, the plight of these men. And Lord, we pray for cigarettes. You know, it was kind of the essence of his prayer. Kind of an odd prayer. And he said, no sooner that he had said amen, the guards opened the door and threw cigarettes on the floor. And the men in the room began to cry out, God exists, God exists, God exists. They had an opportunity by a loving greeting to, en to endear himself to those individuals and have the opportunity to pray to see God at work. And it is true for us. Love, love is something we must display. We must love always. 1 Peter 3, be ready to speak up and tell anyone who asks why you're living the way you are and always with the utmost courtesy. Amen. Amen. Well, as we conclude, here's one scripture. None of the rest of this today is in your notes except one final thought that I'll give you in a minute. I was, in fact, I did this this morning early. I just felt so inclined of the Lord to do this. It's been something that's room, been running through my mind, and I felt like I got to put it together, put it down in, on paper. Passage of scripture, Psalm 11, in verse number three. When the foundations are being destroyed... What can the righteous do? Hear that? When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? And that is an incredible challenge to us because I think we read a scripture like that or we see the things that are happening within our society and, I, and if you're like me, you say, what can I do? I'm just one guy. I'm just one gal. I don't feel like I have any influence anywhere. What do I do? Well, here are three things that you can do. Ready? Number one, be strong in your faith. 
Be strong in your faith. I'm going to pose a question to you that you have to take seriously. Because this has happened in the generations that have preceded us. You ready? If tomorrow, everything was taken away from you, the ability to attend church, the ability to have a Bible in your home, the ability to have the electronic capability of that, if you were, if this was all gone, what would you do? What would you do? Parents, what would you do for your children to preserve the faith in their life? What would you do? What would you do if in the place where you work and you are the sole individual who follows Christ, what would you do to be the influence in their life? What would you do? Do you know how to pray? And you say, well, of course I do. I pray over a meal every day. I got that, I got that dealt with. Do you have enough scripture memorized that if this is gone, you have something, the, the word of God hidden in your heart in such a way that no one can take that from you? Do you have enough of that? You say, wow, I didn't think of it like that. I've been thinking about it like that. Because each of these books that I've mentioned to you today, I've read them, read them all cover to cover. I've watched all the videos. Well, not all the videos on the Hope of Nations, but there's, there's nine of those. I haven't watched all of those. What would you do? You say, Gary, that's never going to happen. Let me remind you of 2020. Have you forgot? Have, you, have we forgot that the churches were closed? Let me remind you, just go online and watch what's going on in Australia today. I understand some of it is easing, but some of it's not. See, it couldn't happen here. Really? Just talk to anyone who's lived in the former communist bloc nations and ask them what they see going on in America. Just ask. So you see, we, we can't stick our head in the sand. You say, man, you're, you're, you're kind of talking like doomsday. No, I'm talking reality. For me, I'm not even, it's got to start with me. Second Peter 3, you might want to write these down. They're, they're familiar, but you need to write them down. For this very reason, make every effort, this is verse 5 and 6, every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness. The second thing we have to do is not only must we have a strong faith, but we have to have strong families. We have to have strong families. Moms, dads, get busy. Get busy. Instructing your children in the ways of the Lord. And hold fast. Hold fast to the confession of faith. Hold fast. Psalm 78 we will not hide from them, verses 4 to 7. We will not hide from them and from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, he which he commended our ancestors to teach their children so the next generation would know them. 
and even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children, and they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commandments. Absolutely essential, moms and dads. Lastly, we have to have strong connections. Strong faith, strong family, strong connections. One of the things that happened during the communist years in Eastern Europe were small cells of individuals who continued to meet even though it was against the law to meet. They met and they read scripture, quoted scripture, they sang and they prayed, and they continued to be an influence in the midst of very great difficulty. But I wonder if everything stopped today, how strong are your connections to people of faith? Why do we talk about life groups? This is why we talk about life groups. Why do we talk about doing something as silly as leveraging Halloween within your neighborhood and being that beacon in your neighborhood of the light of Jesus Christ? Because of this. And I can't go, I could could literally preach for another hour about this stuff, but I can't. So this last verse, Hebrews 10, let us consider how we may spur one another Verse 24 and 25, toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Strong faith, strong families, strong connections. Probably what I'm going to do, and Marcy suggested this, that I create a part two to this, which I will. And then in 2022, I believe the Lord is putting some things on my heart to address the issues that I've just just addressed. Strong faith, strong families, and strong connections. I believe it is time for us, and I as your pastor, I need to get my head out of the sand too. Because it's easy to just go through life and the routine of what we do and, and sometimes overlook the realities that are around us. And I don't, I don't want to do that. But I want us together to be prepared no matter what may come our way because the battle's the Lord's. And and I just want to encourage you with this. God wins. God wins. All the forces of hell can be thrown against you, your family, our church, and our nation. And I want to tell you something, God wins. God wins. And I want to be on his side. I don't want to help you, your family, your children, for us to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. We do that? Look at me one more time. We're going to be good. We're going to be okay. Yeah, we're facing culture war, so one last thought. It's time for us as Christ followers to go to war for our kids families, and friends more than the culture presently is. Time to draw up the battle lines and stand firm in the faith. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. A lot going on in our minds, I'm sure. So help us. Help us. As we stand firm in the faith. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to look at me again. I've done three times today. That's sweet. You guys are really lucky. Kidding, of course. 
I wonder if you'd, first of all, just stand with me if you would. I'm wondering. There's so many things that I could say to bring our time to a close. I, I, we're well over time, way over time. And thank you for your attentiveness and your patience. And blessings to you for that. But I guess for me, it's just the idea of standing firm. Paul said it really, really well, and I encourage you to read Ephesians 6, beginning at verse 10. It's all right there. He says it carefully. He says it four times. Stand, 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 stand. Four times. That's not coincidental, okay? It's not. That's purposeful redundancy of the Holy Spirit to get us to understand how important it is that we stand our ground of faith. And everything you need, we've got. It's right here. And we're going to work through that together. But I just want to pray for you today. And if it's your desire to just stand firm, I'll let, I'll let the Holy Spirit put in you what that means to you. I'm not going to define it for you because we all have to make this stand in different ways and in different places and at different times. God's Spirit can speak that into your life, but I want to pray for you that you will have the strength, the courage in the Lord to stand firm in the mighty power that He makes available to us. Amen? So if that's you, I'm going to close my eyes. I'm not even going to know who's lifting their hands, so I'm going to pray. But if that's you, lift your hand. Jesus, I know that there are those lifting their hands who want to just stand firm in the faith and do what you've called us to do, for us to be what you've called us to be. God, help us, I pray. Help us. We are living in a time I never thought I'd see. I'm not afraid. I'm concerned. My heart is heavy. My heart is heavy for my grandchildren. What are they growing up into? It's not the world I grew up in. And I pray for their protection. If you have children and grandchildren, pray that with me. Jesus, protect them. And as dads and moms, as grandparents, I pray, Lord, right now that we would stand firm in the faith and we would encourage and we would teach and we would train and we would love and we would pray as we have never prayed before for our families. Uncompromisingly, stand firm. Pray, Lord, for those who work in environments where they're being challenged literally every day to make a decision here, a decision there. Some are facing things that they never expected they would face a year ago. They're facing now. I pray in the name of Jesus you would give them courage and strength to stand firm. To stand firm. Their convictions and their beliefs and do so with gentleness and respect Loving always, let the love of our lives 
that is displayed by the Spirit of God within us, let others know that it is the love of God through Christ Jesus that we express our love. Help us to stand firm in our neighborhoods. To be that that place where people who are questioning in our cul-de-sac, what's going on? What do I do? I don't know what's next. God, I pray that we would be that light, the light of Christ in our neighborhoods. God, let us do everything that we can for the sake of those who live around us to be Jesus to them. Help us to stand firm, not to be afraid, not to be afraid. Lord, I pray that in our church, help us to stand firm. Help me. Help me as the pastor of these great, great friends, pastor in this city, to stand firm in the faith. Never compromise. But to walk with each and every person so that we would be strong in our faith. We would be strong families. We would have strong connections. Offer the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. That we would stand firm. Help us, Lord, to do so. We give you thanks. Commit this to you today. In Jesus' name, amen.